Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5e's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. In a world headed for disaster, five strangers with mysterious pasts are thrown together by the winds of fate to try to stop the unseen forces that threaten to destroy their world. Join Creval, a dragonborn with no memory and no past, who is the first of the barbarians of the mountains to be seen in a thousand years. Cotter, a penniless paladin, running from something or someone in his past. No one, the only tiefling monk the kingdom has ever seen, who has been expelled from his monastery for reasons he has not revealed. Adri, his monastic companion who hides some deep dark secret she cannot reveal. And Arlen, once a simple farmer, until some mysterious event manifested sorcerous powers in him. They must travel the length and breadth of the kingdom of Pharaoh, searching for the disparate clues that will help them unravel the mystery of the failing of their land, while trying to hold together the unraveling threads of society's weave threatening to come apart at any moment. They will have to battle nature, plague, politics, and even the forces of the underworld as they attempt to discover and defeat whoever, or whatever, is attempting to poison their world and throw it into chaos. Relic of the Past is a novel-length story told via a clean, custom, 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons game. Find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are found, and at poolmedia.podbean.com. Welcome everybody to today's episode. We are tonight going to be finishing up our rankings of the wizard subclasses to start, but we only have five more to go. Last time in the last episode, we went all the way through all eight of them from the player's handbook. So tonight we have only five more to get through to go ahead and finish them up. As always, joined by my co-hosts, Luanika Glenn. Uh, gentlemen, how are things down in the fine state of Connecticut? Things are doing well for me. Overall, it's a good day. My kid hit the honor roll, and I found out about that today. And yeah, it was yeah, nice and bright and sunny as I was working in the afternoon. Yep, yep. Nice day. Had sunshine today after uh, the morning 
you know, late morning on, we had sunshine and God, that's a nice change because it's been so effing rainy. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, I'm solar powered, I swear. If I don't yeah. have sunshine, I, I will. So I loved it. Today was a great day. Yep. Yep. Today, it was uh, nice enough up here in Maine that all of the uh, the two and a half feet of light fluffy snow that we've gotten over the last two weeks has condensed down to about eight inches of wet, heavy snow. So that's uh, that's about as that's about as close to spring as we get this time of year up here. And by tomorrow morning, in, uh, it'll be Maine. six inches of hard packed ice. Exactly. Right. Exactly. That's that. You are not wrong. You are not. I wrong. did live in Maine yeah. at one point. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Oh, February. How much say we all? But anyway. We digress. Once again, talking about the weather, as we are wont to do, and, and there's not even like a weather mage in the world class anymore. Shtick because we do that we every really time. Do. It's always the weather. We really it's do need an, the weather. An it's, it's winter. I don't know what else to go ahead and talk about. And I mean, that's like you know, the most tropey. <laughs> I've got one, and I like oh. this idea. Oh yeah. How about we talk about games that members of the Facebook group or Patreons or mm -hmm. just games that we come across. There was a great conversation through our Twitter handle. Josh, throw that out for me. At TT Journeys, yep. And my own Twitter handle. I which, can't help you there. Uh, yeah, it's my name, my <laughs> actual name, which is very long. If you at us at TT Journeys, I will go ahead and link it. I will link you to him, I promise. It's, no. right. But yeah. uh, a great conversation that we've been having on Twitter over the last uh, day and a half between the TJ account and my own personal account, which is Akashambatwa underscore L. It was just about a link I found. I was just rooting around the internet as one is want to do when they're bored. And I saw this great picture of the Lankmar second edition module. And I love that module. Love that. That, that picture is great of Farland the Grim Mouser. And uh, copied the link. I threw it up on our group. I threw it out to Twitter and saying that was really the module that freed my mind. Really loved it. And I thought that would be a cool thing to talk about. And Twitter agreed. We have had a lot of yeah. really neat conversations. A lot of people have uh, come out and uh spoken to me about how that was one they loved or they started talking about the ones that they loved. Yep. I had a bunch of books that came out and I think it's amazing. So Definitely. I'm thinking as opposed to talking about the weather from now on, we'll talk about some of the cool things that are related to our various social medias and game products and the things we hear in our various game related conversations. For the week, maybe. Yeah. Well, that wouldn't know, whether be nice, it be yeah. a new game you tried, something you read about or your favorite moment in a game that you run or played in. Yep. Mm. I, I'm very excited. So I, I have not yet done uh, the unboxing for it, but uh, one of my one of the Kickstarters that I've been look, looking forward to most, a tiny epic dungeons, finally came in the mail the other day. So I'm looking forward to cracking into that and seeing what's in there. And the other thing is that in a, I, I think that since we met with Astronomica and like OSR games have been on my mind since then. Just the other day, I ordered something like 25 back issues of Dragon Magazine to go ahead and start pawing through. So that was a, so that was a fun purchase. That was a fun time. I'm looking forward to getting getting my hands on those. So yeah, I, be busy I have a, a couple uh, dragons on the bookshelf behind me here. So yep. I may yep. have to give a rip through there at some point as well. Yep. So my gaming news of the week, I suppose, would be... Mm -hmm. Have either of you started watching Vox Machina? No. Critical Role Show. And I know they're Critical Role Show, and this is our show. <laughs> but so I have inappropriate. Had... So inappropriate, but hilarious. So this is not for kids. Definitely adult <laughs> content, but uh, totally my kind of inappropriate and really enjoying it. I, I never listened to their podcast. I don't know uh, if I'll go back to this season of their actual play. Mm -hmm. But in terms of somebody out there being successful enough, hats off to you again, Mr. Mercer, 
to make their group so successful that they got their own TV show. It's pretty hot. I will say this. We have had no less than four of our patrons specifically request Tabletop Journeys review of the Critical Role animated program. Okay. And, uh, well, it was something I was going to bring up in our business meetings scheduled for right after this particular uh, recording. <laughs> uh, but welcome to the Tabletop Journeys uh, town crier. So we're yeah, going to talk about it I now. Guess- yeah. <laughs> well, uh, all right. I guess that I will. I will take a look and see when Vox Machina uh, runs through, and then we will, as they say in the biz, we will rack that, and we will uh, we will put an episode in rotation so that when the season is done, we'll go ahead and record about it, gentlemen. I guess uh, a few more weeks. Yeah. On is it four more weeks? Is that half? A few more weeks. Half the season is out. Okay. There are six episodes out. They come out three at a time on Fridays. Not an mm-hmm. exact schedule, it doesn't seem. The next three come out this coming Friday, and then however long before the last three to make 12, because that's okay. how many episodes are in the season, will be the All conclusion right. of the first season. All right, and, and that's on Amazon Prime, yeah? yeah? Yep. Yep. And only half-hour episode, so it's easy to digest. Give it a shot to get your opinion, and we can all talk yep. about whether or not we want to cover it. All right. Oh, we're going to cover it. I mean, I think if, if our Patreons are asking us to go ahead and cover it, I think we can go ahead and find the time. Bro, to I'm in. That, like, so. yeah. I, I watched the show with my wife and my and Nate, who just turned 18. Um, nice. And I threw that out there as a parent just because, as I said, it's in a, it's got some seriously inappropriate humor. But honestly, when he was 16, <laughs> I would let him watch it, too, yeah. because he's headed towards that age. But at any rate, it was a little weird for us sitting down with him for a hot second. But we've all gotten used to it. We love watching it together and we laugh about it after. So it's a lot of fun. Our Patreons have asked for it, so therefore, uh, we will put it into rotation. We'll make it happen. Let's go ahead and dive in here to the last of the wizard subclasses. So again, last episode, we went through the primary uh, schools in the Player's Handbook. We talked tonight about more of the specialty wizard varieties that we find in later books. And so we're going to start tonight with a book that is quickly becoming one of my favorites. And, and Luanika, it has everything to do with how much you have sort of touted it over the, uh, the year and change now that we have been doing this. We start first with the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide and the Bladesinger subclass. And Luanika, you certainly scored the Bladesinger higher than, uh, than Glenn and I, although all of us put it within the same range of each other. Talk to me about the Bladesinger. What was it that, uh, what was it that you liked about it? What isn't there to like about Bladesinger? Straight up, nostalgia is one of the number one reasons I love the Bladesinger. Going back to second edition when it was spoken about and nobody could ever play it, when they finally gave us rules for it and we got to play one, but only if you were a pure elf and only under these very specific circumstances, it was an amazing thing. The 3.5 edition was just awesome. I got to play one in a one shot or for a very short period of time. Always wanted to break one out in our Alanis games. Just love it. So nostalgia alone rates the Bladesinger very high. So my rankings for want to play it always. And I have played one and I still want to play one. I want that one to play more. I played him in um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. And it was a brilliant character for that game, by the way. A Mm -hmm. brilliant character style for that game. But I wanted to play more of that. And I've just, I'm waiting for another game where that's going to be the right thing to do, the right kind of character to play that or, and, or that's what the party needs. It's not always what the party needs. So I love that about it. Wild card. Again, 
the flavor, the feel, the panache. There's so many great things about uh, that dexterous fighter with those cool elven blades. That weird mix of Legolas when he does do the sword wielding is the vision I always have for it. And yet you're doing spell casting, which is something that, quite honestly, I don't see a lot of elves do in movies or whatever. But I do see it in, in or hear it and and play it and have it played in, at tables and the TTRPG world. So it really yeah. just fills those niches. Flavor for days. But yeah. the mechanics, I've played the character. The mechanics do fall short in some yep. very important and meaningful ways. It is a challenge to balance your action economy, what to do when, and I yep. often found in combat, certainly in tier one, which is what the game I played the character in, that my choices were limited enough that it was hard to pick something without feeling that I chose the wrong thing. And that was a big drag on the feel for yeah. the character. So this is a subclass for me that sort of epitomized a lot of the other wizard subclasses and that I desperately want to play one. I want to preface that up front, that I desperately want to play one. And then I have to t go ahead and tuck that aside and actually give it a realistic review about the quality of the subclass. And here is where I think the subclass sort of falls down. This is not a wizard, right? This isn't a wizard that can do fighty things. This is a fighter that can do wizard things. And so it feels misplaced. It's very hard to compare the Bladesinger to any other wizard subclass because all of their abilities are fighter abilities. And so they're a fighter with spells. They're not a wizard with fighting abilities. And, and I found that really hard to go ahead and rank their mechanics in particular against other wizards because they're not a good wizard. They're not a good wizard. I found yeah. it easy to rank them. It was bad. <laughs> yeah. Now, I mean, I will be with you on the flavor. I'm with you on the wild card. I'm with you on my desire to play. And that is the only thing that saved this subclass because I did not think that their mechanics held up. Well, so. it was one of the higher rated ones out of all of us, right? For so, me. Yeah, and it, but let's be clear. I ranked it a five out of 13. Yeah. That means there's only four classes whose mechanics I felt were worse than this. Mm hmm. You probably could have convinced me to go down to a four or a three, and I would yeah. have been like, "Yeah, I could see that." It's yeah, all top of three, top of bottom. Yeah, yeah. If we talk about this and we talk through it, I could change. I could rank mine down. In right. fact, I was thinking about doing that, but we had started this earlier, so I left it alone. But I probably would come down on that by at least one for the yep. mechanics because it is such a challenge to pick the right thing. And your choices, even when you do pick the right thing, just don't feel like the right choices, action to action. Yep. I agree. And came out pretty much the same way. I mean, I gave it a three for mechanics and a five for wild card. As we said, middle of the road is pretty broad um, in this category. But I gave it a yep. 10 for flavor because the Blade Singers of old, man. And I totally get what you're saying, Josh, because <sighs> Blade Singing probably should be a fighter subclass like the Eldritch Knight. But I get what they were trying to do. What they were trying to do is balance that fighter wizard thing across both classes to show that it could go either way and it just doesn't yeah, work very well it doesn't work and that's part <laughs> of what brings it its well. mechanics down they're not even a very good fighter at this point yeah no you're right that level 14 right? yeah and that level they're not 14 a great ability, yeah. the level 14 ability ought to be part of the basic straight up 
original out. blade song it shouldn't be the apex ability they should already get their intelligence modifier to damage just like a fighter yep. or a dex fi a strength fighter or a dex totally. fighter would yep um so its mechanics are super weak they did a poor job writing it but if they could fix it mm. and damn i want to play one because <laughs> yep, in fact absolutely. if i weren't trying specifically to flesh out kazat as a character for um the traveler's guide to the multiverse that we're working on right now I would have specifically done a blade singer for our class warfare wizards episode. Mm, I, the the, the sudden desire about doing one, yeah. The sudden idea to make to start fleshing out Kazat and building him as a character to help me connect with him more is what changed that. But originally, I would have had a, we would have had somebody vaguely more tanky than Abjurer Josh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, I, Josh I came very <laughs> close to doing it, but I actually cut myself off because I have played one before and I wanted to do something different for the, for that session. And I'll be honest, I think you're right. It would be better had it been set up as a fighter. I think that would have worked better. The fighter features would go with these spell casting features much better. Yep. Um, like these imposed on a fighter base would be better than these imposed on a wizard base for yep. what a blade singer actually entails. Keep in mind, this doesn't take away the regular spell casting ability or limit it in any way. So they are still in theory a fully functioning wizard, but the, the brutal choices in their action economy are what takes yeah. it even further and makes it truly impossible to be effective. Yeah. yeah. Be, th simply having to choose, yeah. I can do a fireball and take out 14 of them. Or I can blade song and get two attacks where I have a eighty percent chance of hitting. Yep. To do D ten damage or D yep. D six damage or whatever. That's the choices you're making with this character. That's why the mechanics fall short. If yep. they were doing something so you expended a resource where all of your hits did more, all of your hits, even at level three, were magical or something like mm -hmm. that. Or did additional damage types or something like yeah. that. Like we found that with Give the additional damage yeah. type. Some yep. what yep. I found worked well with this when I played the character is honestly, when I got feats, I took fightery feats. Yep. And that allowed that. it to be more effective. Yep. Uh, I was a much better blade singer when I took the right fightery feats. And that was before you had slasher or piercer or some of those mm -hmm. other ones, which would also go with it. But honestly, that's really what it came down to. If you're going to be as spleeny as this, I mean, hell, give them some kind of con bonus or something. Yeah. There's got to be something more than what they did. We, we move on from Skag to Xanathar's Guide, and the subclass that really, for me, was as close to perfect as we were going to get in the Wizard subclass. And really... Had I thought about it, or, or if I could go back and, and re-roll the wizard that I used for Class Warfare, I would have brought out a War Mage, because I was so thoroughly impressed with the class as it was presented. I mean, just... I gave it a 13 for mechanics. I loved the mechanics from start to finish. I gave it a 10 for wild card and a 10 for my desire to play. The only thing that knocked it down is because of how many, the only thing that kept it from getting a perfect score really was because of how many subclasses throughout the wizard class have such amazing flavor, right? When, especially the, the first eight from the player's handbook, like this is one thing that they did really well in the player's handbook was the amount of flavor that they put into the subclasses for this particular class. And so really that was the only thing that knocked the war mage down from getting a, a perfect score but i thought that it was an 
impressively written class. I thought that the powers that it gets are, as I put in my notes here, the powers are no joke. It was far and away for me the mechanical winner. Again, the flavor wasn't super strong. I thought that the flavor was a lot of what I was superimposing on it, what I wanted the War Mage to be. But wasn't super wasn't super flavorful on its own in comparison to everything else in the wizard class. But this one for me, far and away, the 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 number one subclass in the list here. And I noticed how very different we were on that because honestly, it was straight middle of the road for me, except the mechanics. And I gotta say, some of it's cool, like arcane deflection and tactical wit. I thought were hot. It's entry level mm-hmm. abilities. I thought those were great. But when I look at Power Surge and I read all of that, it's a huge amount of mechanics to be written to, in the end, get an extra damage equal to half your wizard level. Like, I just, I didn't find, by the time you're sixth level, getting a damage bonus of three, that just seemed super clunky and meh by the time it was done. Durable Magic, again, was cool, but then you hit Deflecting Shroud and your Apex ability, and yeah, it's every time you go off of Arcane Deflection, which is cool, but you can cause a Power Surge arc out to three enemies, again, for half your wizard level. So that's uh, kind of Panic Button AoE to three enemies for at 14th level, seven damage. I'd like to see both of those be a little bit more beefy to get me to bring my mechanics score up. But I will say that, as I just reread the, the abilities that I do like, I probably put it a little low when I put it at two. Mm-hmm. I think it's above Blade Singer, which I had at three. But it, it yeah, the, the, I, I am going to counter that because I think that I, I hear what you're saying about deflecting shroud and how it does not seem that impressive. The key is though that arcane deflection isn't a power that expires. You can use it every turn. We've already talked about how, especially by the time you get up to, to upper levels, how important cantrips are to the wizard, right? So you can use it every time, and every time that you use it, it does seven points of at 14th level, it does seven points of damage to three creatures within 60 feet of you. So now it's that AoE, that, a, that if anything's getting close to you, it's now, because that, that's the primary knock against a wizard, right? Is that from a distance, nothing is going to go ahead and take out that wizard. How do you defeat a wizard you get in his shorts and you give him a bad day right arcane deflection now means that if you're gonna do that it's gonna hurt it's gonna take its toll on you and it's gonna keep you from being able to knock down that wizard in three or four rounds because that's always the number one target right go take out the wizard they're the range damage they're the ones that are going to be throwing fireballs for 20 d 100 worth of damage or whatever it is right and now the wizard can actually buy time for the fighters and the barbarians and the paladins who can pull those bad guys away from them and keep them from taking the wizard out. As well as softening them up. One of the things Mm -hmm. I've noticed at my Mm -hmm. table recently is area of effect, softening a group of bad guys, even if they're not minion level, was extremely effective in tier three because you've got a barbarian or a fighter who, when they hit hard or they alpha strike, they hit hard now. Mm -hmm. And so what I found was when that area effect, even if it didn't do enough to really harm them, it took bad guys that were in the 120, 130 range, brought them down to around 100. Then you get the fighter or the barbarian to drop an alpha strike, happen to do a crit, maybe not, but they do Mm -hmm. an alpha strike that's coming in somewhere like, 60 70 points right now bam the the main target is bloodied 
they can be nickeled and dimed by anybody. And then all it takes is the rogue in the party to come around on the next turn that, to finish them yeah. off. Like, but that soften up is important or those little whittling effects is important. And yeah. what I found worked really well was just that. How can you get as much damage in as close yeah. to 10 point increments as possible? And this spell, every time the wizard casts a spell or a cantrip or a damage dealing spell or whatever, he's going to get, he's going to toss this out and get at least one of those increments out on three other creatures. That's not to be discounted even in tier three or tier four play. Yeah, even durable magic, when you get an AC bonus for having a concentration spell up, think about some of the really great concentration spells that are going to be in this wizard's portfolio. Haste, Polymorph, Zephyr Strike. Think of all these fantastic concentration spells that now, just for casting it, their AC is up, and now because their AC is up, they're harder to get knocked out of concentration by taking damage. If it's powers that feed on off of one another like that. I did like durable magic too, and your counterpoint to uh, deflecting shot has actually turned my opinion. You've completely changed my mind. I would, See, if I rerated this class, go a little bit heavier. Yep. I hadn't completely made the connection that arcane deflection was an unlimited ability, so that creates. That is why a deflecting shroud needs to be at a half damage level. Yep, uh, exactly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Otherwise it's at that point, yeah. it is an effective ability, and I love yeah. it. I am going to still say that there's a whole lot of craziness going on in power surge to have to get <laughs> power by dispel and counterspell and all of that. That's overcomplicated still. Yep. But there's one stink turned me around 100%. (laughs) Awesome. Here, I will give you the chance to go ahead and shine on our next one here. Next, we go to the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. And Glenn, I want to get your thoughts on the Chronergy Mage, because you uh, ranked this far and away higher than Liwanika and I both. Talk about the I. I mean, I, I ranked it... I mean, of the three of us, I ranked it the lowest, but I was a solid 10 points behind Glenn. So tell us what you thought. Okay, so... It's not that, like, I gave it an eight in mechanics, so it's not like I gave it top rankings or anything, but Mm -hmm. I loved the flavor. The flavor of it is really what sold it for me, and that flavor influenced my wild card and my want to play both to be in in the upper ranges. But even its mechanics, I didn't think were too bad. But basically, you're a time mage. I mean, you're you're a master of time. You're, You're Doctor Who, right? You're a time master. Well, kind of. I'm Lord. The mechanics don't quite stack up to that, but yeah. um, they are pretty neat. I did think Chronal Shift only being able to get it twice as opposed to scale was limiting, but I liked it. You're, you can magically exert limited control over the flow of time around a creature. So as a reaction, and I love reactions, that's always something that's going to sell me. That was part of what helped me turn around on the war magic because that original ability for the arcane deflection is a reaction, but I'm always looking for new ways to use them. So whenever they make an attack, roll or ability check or saving throw, you can force them to re-roll. It's like the divination precognition thing. But I didn't like that you could only do it twice. Uh, so yeah. again, it's basically well, it's giving you... Yeah. 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 It is strong, but I don't think proficiency bonus would be too bad. I mean, by the time you're level 16 to have a big-ass proficiency bonus, you ought to be able yep. to do it a lot. You got, what, five? At, I think it's proficiency bonus is five at level 16. So yeah, I, I, I thought the best thing about this subclass was its mechanics. I will totally agree with you there. I really liked Convergent Future, but I thought I that the that expense... One. Yeah, I thought the expense was really high when it talks about exhaustion. It is high, but I liked it. It's Doctor Strange in the MCU flipping through a thousand futures to try to find that one possible way to win. Yeah. Though not quite to that extreme level, basically you're getting to overturn any decision that the dice make 
on yeah. an attack roll ability check or saving throw, whether it succeeds or fails. So whether or not it's to help your compatriots or to hinder your foes, you get to say no. That's that's not the way that it went because I looked into the future and made sure we stepped in front of that shit and it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like, and I will agree, that having the exhaustion key in the first time you use it is harsh. Yeah. I think you ought to be allowed to use it once use one for time. free. Yep. And then each time you choose to use it after that, like one of the other abilities in a previous yep. subclass, totally um, it should kick up more. And that is why, I mean, I gave it good mechanics, but I couldn't give it top end mechanics because it did have flaws like that. I love the fact that it has the flaw, but that flaw should come in if you try to push the ability beyond one time. Totally agree. course of a deck. For me... And I love your thought process because I hadn't thought about that. And I think that would have been amazing. And I definitively would have upgraded the mechanics had that been how it was written. I didn't necessarily see it as a flaw. I more saw it as a necessary limitation on an, a remarkably powerful ability. By the time you're getting that ability, you're tier three and solid into tier three. 14 is very close to getting to tier four at that point. You are dealing some crazy magics. Could you imagine if you have Meteor Storm or something huge like that, and you're like, I didn't like the way that die roll worked. I want it to be max damage or what have you. Or I didn't like the way that, you know, I boosted. This is just something. the attack roll, the ability check, or the saving throw. So it okay. can affect damage. It's just damage, about but... success or failure. Okay. Well, that's good to know. But I didn't like the fact that they saved from that media storm, that half damage, let them live, right? That's an ability that is likely only going to be used to end the conflict. You're mm -hmm. not going to use that often. And if you have to use it often, you were dying anyway. Like you were. Oh, I don't know. I can, I can yeah, see, I see, that I see the biggest use for it to save your party's ass, to save yourselves when the big giant tank in full plate fails his wisdom save and is dominated by the enemy. And you say, nope, I saw that coming, so I fortified his mind in advance. But to me, that's an encounter ender. Basically, you're doing it to save the encounter enders. So for me, I didn't think of it as a flaw. I thought it was a necessary evil, so to speak. But I get the overall number. I mean, I ranked it at a 9, which is the upper end of things out of 13. But it's not super high not and certainly not low. I mean, I loved this class. I ranked it 10 for flavor, but it was extremely well-written. And it does lead me to believe that Matt Mercer and his team and the things that they're doing in critical role, at least as far as creating things for the game, are pretty on point. There's not much that they've done as far as character creation types that I didn't really, that I haven't liked that we've reviewed. I think that speaks a lot to that. Like, I just like these things. I think they're pretty well done. Obviously, they're well regarded in the community, but Chronergy is something that I would. I would definitely want to play it some. Do you want early access to every Tabletop Journeys episode? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? Or, heck, do you just want to support the show? Join our Patreon today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, or you can make a one-time contribution to the cause. We love doing the show for y'all, and support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. 
So join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. I, I will say that that this subclass does make me weep a little bit that the 3.5 feet tireless did not make it to fifth edition because if if you remember what tireless was tireless allows you to ignore one level of exhaustion or basically it reduces all levels of exhaustion by one rank by one, by one yeah right yeah and i think that being able to go ahead and take that feat with this subclass would take this from a combat ender to a combat starter right to be able to go ahead and make sure that fireball hits for max damage for as much for as many people as possible or whatever to go ahead and start no, that nobody saves. about softening it whatever. yeah <laughs> or at least nobody you, could, you, you can only you can only change one though you can't change it's all of one. our saves yeah, yeah. right and it's I mean, I can see it as written. I don't completely object to it because it is powerful and it is a cool effect yep. to add the exhaustion to it. But yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing it with one for use. But I did yeah. want to talk about the 10th level ability too because I thought it was weird. And at first I didn't like it. And then I reread it again because it's a little wordy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Arcane Abay <laughs> basically means that you can take a spell and condense it down into a moat or a bead of magical energy. Yeah. That you hand to someone else. It could be the rogue. It could be a courier who, it could be a suicide bomber if you want to do that with some kind of, with a, an evil wizard. That's, um, you could that's amazing and awful. Condense fire. Yeah. I wanted to talk. I mean, what could you do with this? You could, you, that person, as their action, can release the spell, right? So they oh, can God. carry it into mix it a in throne with, room, into mix it in with somebody's peas. It doesn't have to be an offensive spell either. It could be anything. So at first I was like, that's weird. But then I started thinking of uses for it and it's pretty damn specific, but cool. Yeah. Yep. It's a very cool power. I I really enjoyed Arcane Advance. I also think that you hit on my concern about it is that it has the possibility of abuse. I think, or he has the ability to go ahead and steer a party in a direction that they may not want to go a little close to the, to the evil line. I think, I think you're not wrong, but let's take a moment to think about the narrative implications of somebody who controls time. When in sci-fi or fantasy, has there ever been a situation where a character with the ability to manipulate time has not at some point gone against an opposite or a direct evil because they felt they could do things with time better than the way time went on its yeah. own and certainly better than the hero. Yep. I that think was, that was, it, I mean, that is Dr. Who that is the mm-hmm. master that yep. is Sam Beckett. That is the evil leaper. That, exactly. I mean, I mean, either way it could go either way. You don't have to be evil. Yeah, there are so many stories that are about that dichotomy between I have yeah. this power of time and what do I do? Time after time, when you're dealing with it, though he's just chasing the Ripper, what was the Ripper trying to do in, in, in all the various versions of time after time or, or adaptations of the time machine? Basically realizing how far he could go with the ability to go through time. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that this accurately covers that subgenre. Yep. And gives you the ability to live out that fantasy through the tabletop game. Yeah. yeah. That was no my worries. concern looking at this was whether or not 
time travel is such an odd. Let I me mean, think back to our LARPing days, right? Who mm-hmm. did you hate to see coming? You hated to see those Bruja coming with Temporis because you knew that monkey fucking was coming, right? Like yeah. you knew it. Like it was just it was built into the. Why are you doing this to monkeys in your in your LARP? No monkeys were harmed in the recording of this podcast. Yeah. Okay. Let, let, me, let, let me go with a slightly different example. When did one of my favorite shows from the nineties and two thousands heroes go crazy sideways off the rails when they started messing with time travel? Like that's what and, caused and that show to go off the rails. Well, and I like the, the fact beauty, that this isn't this time travel. It's just time tinkering. Time traveling. He's monkeying with time. And that's an interesting thing that even Doctor Strange didn't do the time travel piece until the what if episode, right? All he did was say, rewind, fast forward to look or rewind. And then he with Dormammu and not in the main plane of existence. He went to Dormammu's plane of existence and then monkeyed with time to keep him in a loop that would allow Dormammu to say, I'm out of here. I'm not doing this fight. Right, right. But right. yeah, and uh, it's, it's tinkering with time. It's not time travel. That's and, it, and it's it's pretty damn. That's cool. a distinction without a difference. But that's a, even their level yeah. six ability. Momentary stasis is cool. I mean, they could be better, but I don't know. It just it spoke to me. It made me think yeah. Doctor Who. It made me think yeah. Doctor Strange, and I loved it. I think that it was done well, and I I say that with an asterisk that I in general have concerns about powers that start dealing with playing with time. Because even think about... Timey-wimey is hard. That's why they came up with the term timey-wimey. Timey-wimey is hard. Exactly. Yeah, I'm with you. And not many games deal with it. I'll be honest with you. Very few games, not even Supers games, while there may be plenty of characters that deal with those kinds of powers, there are Mm -hmm. very few games that... Tabletop games I'm aware of that actually have player character abilities to manipulate time. That's what I really divination like the way this. that it's written right now, mostly. Yeah. yeah. This enough. is probably the best way I've seen it done. All right. Let's uh, let's stay in the Wild Mount book here. And Lou and Nico, we're going to talk about the subclass that you did pick for our uh, first class warfare episode there. You trotted out a Domfear Graviturge. Uh, what was it about the Graviturge class or subclass that appealed to you? At one point, I wanted to lighten the mood, and then I decided, nope, I'm going to get heavy. No, <laughs> I've been waiting all week for that oh, line. Please forgive man, that, me. That poor sad owl bear. Like, really, it was so, yeah. that poor owl um, bear. <laughs> what got me on this is nothing that I read at first. It was a player at my table who built one, and I watched it at work in several combats in higher tier two. And I was just impressed about how successful he was. Like, I didn't know what I was getting at my table. He said, hey, I want to do this thing. It's out of such and such a book. I'm like, that book is play tested. It should match up pretty well. I looked at it, basically had a general idea. I was like, yeah, that should be fine. And then he pretty much, as an add-on player to the party I already had in existence, uh, single-handedly upended two or three combats that I didn't anticipate being upended. What I thought would have been a threat ended up not being a threat simply with his addition and the way he used his abilities. And I should also go so far as to say, I, in our session that we have already released and the one we're about to release, have not 
figured out how to play it as well as it was played at my table. Yeah. I it was cool, man. You did a good job with it. With, you did a very good job. With the yeah. opening move. Yeah. I mean, but, that, that's the only reason why that fight was as close as it was, is because you were able to keep the owlbear from well, stampeding over you. Yeah. yeah if, we, if, if he was if he was mawing on people the whole time, there wouldn't Ugh, have been any prayer. I mean, as it was, brutal. we yeah. lost, but we could it could have gone different. One person yeah. could have lived if the roll, a couple of rolls went different. Yeah, exactly. But without you tying up the owlbear like that and the difficult terrain we established with the trees, we all would have been owlbear snacks a lot sooner. I just love the abilities. I liked it. It 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 is if you're gonna build a magneto type character, you need this subclass. This is how you do the thing. I thought that there were a number of spells that even if they th- that really lent themselves to the theme, there are things that you could do that I thought would you could you could flavor to be gravity in nature, like any of your thunder spells, thunder wave, thunderclap, uh, all mm-hmm. thunderstep. All of those things could literally be ways of gravity energy that are flaring out from the caster or what have you. I thought there's just a number of things you could do. Earthquake and at higher levels. There's just so many cool things that you could do with this character. And I just, when I read this character, after seeing it at my table, I just visualized everything that this character was doing. And I just was totally enamored. He was totally effective. My knock on this subclass is not necessarily on the subclass by itself. I didn't think the two subclasses in the Wildmount book scaled very well at all. I thought that they both sort of had the same kind of issues where there was no real sense of progression through it. And we saw this with your Graviturge, right? What was the primary knock on the Graviturge from the Class Warfare episode? Is that you built it for like tier three into tier four and rolling it back to tier two, even a late a tier two or even or a late tier one was a challenge because you didn't get to do the cool things that you wanted to do. I think this is a fantastic support tune at 10th level and beyond, but up until 10th level, it's going to be a slog. And the other thing that I want to go ahead and say is that for crying out loud, can we stop giving powers that gain two extra feet of movement or cost right? two feet of movement? Come on. Like, why can we not get that right? Why can they not figure that one out? Because there is no way two feet of movement has any real world impact in a game with five foot grids. It just doesn't. They need to stop that. I'll get out that soapbox yeah. now. Yeah, it's basically making every foot three feet even. It's more untrackable than that if you pay attention to it. Yes. Every foot yeah. costs an extra two feet. So every foot costs you three feet. So yeah. every okay. foot you move when you move five feet costs you three feet. So it costs you 15 feet of movement. <laughs> so it's like double <laughs> difficult terrain. It should just be yeah. difficult terrain. It's crazy. Yeah. Or just say your movement is reduced by X. Yeah. I love like the something. subclass, though. Yeah. I agree that it doesn't scale well. And that's my biggest beef with it was that two-foot yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, Actually, I think it should be probably worded as whatever your current movement is, it is halved. Right. That halved way, other things ha- so it stacks with other things that are happening so you yeah. don't get into that first-in, first-out issue. Yeah, right, or time. have an issue with difficult terrain over difficult terrain. Yeah, no, I should say half movement. But that was my only major issue with it. And aside from that, though, I think it's really cool. The flavor is is there for days. I would happily play a Gravitur just as well. Be nice if it scaled a little better, but so it's pretty what brutal. I thought was interesting is it doesn't scale well, but I found it was inverse. I thought the higher levels were better than the lower levels. And the reason I say that is because the spells, and I haven't done this episode because you're not looking at a single school of magic. You get Mm -hmm. to pick from everything. 
What I found when I was building it for level 16 is the volume of spells that fit this theme were so many and so good. Other than watching out for concentration issues Mm -hmm. and preparing versus concentration, I had a ton of higher level spells that were crazy effective or lower level spells that could be upcast with insane effect. And I thought that 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 was one of the things that I noticed is that like I've said with the PHP subclasses, if you include the availability of spells and the types of spells available in your calculation for scalability, you'll find that the higher levels are very strong. Uh, I think the issue here is, and that's not taking fireball or all of that, right? That's just taking things that theme anything with sound movement, binding light movement, flight, levitate, those types of things and or sonic type attacks. I just took those kinds of things and I found that that was great, but at lower levels, because your volume of spells is less and there isn't a ton that you're getting all at once other than the one ability I used, which is a concentration ability. So then it knocked out any concentration spell I would have. That's where I found the challenge was the lower level. So I had an inverse scaling issue with the class. I didn't think higher levels was an issue at all. I thought it was way powerful at higher levels. Yep. Hmm. Okay. All right, Glenn, let us bring you to the forefront here and let you sing the praises of if I'm if my math is right, the highest ranked subclass of the three of us, that the highest score for any subclass given by any of the three of us was your score for from Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, the Order of Scribes. So yeah, tell me about that because Luanika and I did not see it. <laughs> okay. So here's what the order of scribes is, and it's important to understand this, right? You've got all of these specialty mages that focus on different schools of magic, different types of magic, right? The order of scribes wizard is the original quintessential seeker of knowledge wizard, right? The way that he, the way that it's written. And the way that he works, he's going to be the guy who is out there deliberately trying to find as much magic as possible to record in his spell book. And he's got a distinct advantage over all of the other wizards out there trying to do it. Because with the Order of Scribes, bonding with a spell book, effectively making it his familiar, Mm -hmm. does a lot of really cool things for him. You get the wizardly quill, which doesn't require ink, and you can, and it improves your transcription. I'm not going to go through all of the individual mechanics, and it's always with you. You can summon it as a bonus action. You can summon a t- summon your tiny quill into your free hand, and that's just cool flavor right there. And it's it's not major, but it's got good flavor for for that you know scholarly guy, right? Then you hit your awakened spell book. The book acts as a spellcasting focus, so you can just have it in your hand to use as a spellcasting focus for casting your spells. You can replace any damage type with any other damage type from another spell of the same level that you cast. So if you're throwing out cantrips and you happen to have Acid Splash, Burning Hands, Shocking Grasp, you can take any of those and change the damage type to any other type. You could make an electric ball instead of a fireball, right? So now take that with the elemental adept feat. I actually think that Kazat is switching from evoker to order Mm, of scribes. Okay. And then you also get once per day, and this is a throw-in, but it's neat, the ability to cast a ritual spell at its normal casting time because the book, you know, helps you with the casting. 
That is nice. Um, we talked about rituals in our class breakdown episode and talked about how trying to determine when to use a spell slot versus cast something as a ritual is one of mm-hmm. those things. It, it builds that that drama into if you're in a cave and you find a magic item, do you want to take the 10 minutes to cast detect magic as a ritual or identity as a ritual? That, that kind of thing. And so that that is a nice, a nice bonus for this subclass. Mm-hmm. I will definitely give you that. And now when you hit level six, you can manifest your spellbook's mind. It takes on its own personality, right? You can name it. You can have all kinds. It could be Jarvis. And you can have conversations with your own Jarvis, like Tony Stark, right? Mm. And it appears however you want it to appear, but it becomes this little floating spectral form that can't be hit or damaged. But you can cast spells from its space. It has dark vision out to 60 feet. You can use bonus actions to move it around corners and spy. And it's your own personal scout now while you're in these dungeons, right? And you can threaten a second spot because you can use it to, to cast spells. So that's another feature that it's not crazy powerful, but it's wicked cool. And it all just the, the whole like. That's really is, helpful, actually. Yeah. It's hot. It's like uh, Arcane Eye for the Warlock in World of Warcraft. Oh, was Arcane Eye the right? Uh, the right? Then you hit level 10 for Master Shrivener. And I have, this is the only, this is the only ability that kept me from giving it 13 for mechanics i gave abjure 13 because i thought its mechanics were perfect the only thing that i have any quibble with in in it at all is i would like to see master shrivener give you a third level spell and as well instead of just a first or a second i think that by the time you hit hit 10th level when you finish a long rest you can create one magical scroll by touching your wizardly quill to a blank piece of paper or parchment and causing one spell from your awakened spell book to be copied to the scroll so basically an instant extra spell slot that you carry on a scroll that you can use throughout the day right i'd like to see that be a level three spell instead of just a one or a two but the defensive ability for the final ability for the capstone uh, to be able to use it as a damage soak to sacrifice your spell book in a spectral form as a shield, basically to throw its magical energy in front of the attack. Yeah. Reducing the damage I thought was hot. The price is steep. The price is expensive. Yeah. The price is steep and that could come down a little bit, but I'm going to be honest. I like powers that come at a cost. I like that your capstone ability isn't just, I can use this every day. Like it doesn't matter. It's okay. This is, you know, it, Yep. once you get to those powerful abilities, sometimes they should take a toll. And I like that. Could it be? No, I, I dig it. Could it be a D4? long rests before your spells come back or maybe a lower number that you lose maybe but i dig that if you make the book take the hit for you that it loses some of its energy and it has and it takes time for it to refortify itself to to become strong again yeah overall i love it and the order of scribes is the one i most wants to play next as a wizard honestly yeah, that's I love your takedown, honestly, Glenn. I think that there is there's a lot of stuff in this subclass that you talk about that now that I'm looking at it, sort of like how I, when I was talking about the War Mage about how much I loved it. Maybe this Order of Scribes Mage is is better than I initially thought it was, and honestly, where it lost its points was in my desire to play it. I didn't see where the magic was about using this. I totally agree with you about one with the word about how the cost for that is really steep. I do think that it should go from a D6 to a D4 or even one long rest. Like that's something like that. Like not having your spell book for six rests is a lot. Uh, that's book. Real... You just lose specific spells out of it. A certain number of oh, levels of spells okay. you have to choose and you get to pick. Okay, sure. 
uh, I'm going to say that's a distinction without a difference. Like you might as well not have your book if you don't, if you still have your book and have lost spells in it. But that's that's maybe I'm being too harsh there. I, nah, this I is the guy also... who's going to be chasing every spell he can possibly get. He'll have 12, 13 spells for every level yeah. below levels. That that's fair. That's fair. That, that um, brings me to my point on this, Glenn, and I love your takedown, as Josh said on this. One of the notes that I made as you were talking was. Um, the equipment benefits really depends on how, the type of game that's being run and, the, and what the DM is doing at your specific table. Oh, so, absolutely. So your DM style becomes very critical to how much fun and how much benefit this class is, subclass is going to get. Similarly, the benefits regarding spell focus and the type of spell focus. I'll be honest, while it exists and if players want to play with it and they want to mention it, it happens at my table. I don't put a lot of effort into the details there. I know players built their characters and have them. They say they have them, and that's as much as really it deals with in my game. It's just one of those things like encumbrance or what have you. It doesn't come up. So yeah. again, the style of game you're playing determines how good that's going to work at your table. Just a quick counterpoint to that, because I was actually reading a discussion just a little while ago today about whether or not we might be doing our players a disservice by simplifying those rules. And I say that because the contention was part of the reason people consider wizards overpowered is because spell components, spell focuses, and the actual necessities involved in casting and etc. are ignored. If they weren't ignored, though they do require more work to track, if they weren't ignored, then wizards wouldn't quite be so OP, is the conjecture. And I, I, found, I found the concept interesting, and it made me start thinking a little bit about whether or not I wanted to review those rules. Not, you're absolutely not wrong, and you've been at my table when the uh, magic user on my Monday night game, when she started researching her spell components, and as soon as she took up on, hey, this requires this, where can I find that? What did I start doing? I started building in stops at town. I built oh, no, you, you worked it in for her because... Because Your player was interested in a it. A player was interested, so I made it happen at my table. I have yep. also run tables where people could care less about it. And trying to run a table that's fun and enjoyable, yep. you have to go with that flow and you build the game for the table you have. So yeah. you're not wrong, and I absolutely agree with that point. I personally would like to play at tables where more of that stuff is done. Running the table, I really have to go with where my players want. And sometimes I say, I'd like to. And then I go with how far they the players want to go. Right. Yep. Nope, absolutely. I, That's I a have, factor, too. Yeah. All right. Now that we've gone through them all here, let's look at some of the scores and see how they've actually fallen out here. And I think that differently than a lot of other classes that we have reviewed in this way, we see the player's handbook really carrying the day on this. And not just because the vast majority of the subclasses are in the player's handbook, but really the vast majority of the good subclasses are in the player's handbook also. Mm -hmm. uh, we see in the player's handbook, we see the number one two and five ranked subclass and then the number number three was the order scribes from tasha's cauldron of everything again showing kind of the quality of that book which that's what we have gone back to numerous times and then number four being from wild mount the the chronology mage but the number one ranked subclass was the abjurer if you had told me before reading the subclasses which one was going to be my favorite abjuration would not have been anywhere near the top of what i thought my favorite would be, right? I would not have believed you if you had said that Abjuration was going to be my favorite. And it was my second favorite, but was pretty far and away the highest ranked subclass out of everyone that we ranked here. So it that, that's up, really a surprise to me. 
Yeah, number one for me, and I believe the second highest thing we ranked. Correct, yeah. And if we were to do percentages over all the subclasses we've ranked to date, I'd wager that this is probably one of the absolute top. Yeah, because that'd be like a maximum score was like 46, like 85%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I absolutely love this this subclass. And I think it surprised me too. I did not expect the basics to rank as high as they did. I ex- other than evocation expected to rank higher than it actually did. Yep. Though it's commonality weighed it down a bit because I know yep. that I marked it down because everybody sees an evoker, right? I'm yeah, just yeah. another like, evoker. I'm all set. Yeah. And so I think it's actual amazingness actually causes its own downgrade, which is interesting just from a philosophical standpoint. You're well, so I mean, good that everybody wants to play you, so now you're not as good. It, oh. it is It is exactly the problem that I saw with the War Magic subclass, right? Is that its flavor was fine, but having your flavor bubble up near the top in the Wizard subclass is tough, because there's so many subclasses with great flavor. Yeah, ab- Abjuration and Divination, the next one yeah. down, the number two, were both like the I, I should have given them better marks on the wild card because both of them so cr- surprised me significantly. And they're written really well. Uh, they'd be great to play. Their powers are scale well and are, are they're just awesome. I mean, unless they happen to face the Githyanki, at which point they're crap. But... <laughs> I think everything yeah. that faces Githyanki is crap. I think I think that is probably about as good a place to leave this episode right there, is that any of these subclasses would be fantastic unless they're level six fighting a Githyanki. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. This is the final episode that we're going to be doing on the wizard subclasses. Uh, Next week, we are coming at you with an interview with Eddie Jakes to talk about Palladium Games and specifically Palladium Dead Rain, which is a campaign that he's got tremendous amount of of, uh, familiarity with. Uh, So we're really looking forward to bringing that to you next week. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you again then. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, at TT Journeys, by joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. You're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible. We would appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Full episodes come out every week on Saturdays, and every Tuesday features our actual play episodes. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And in the words of another traveler along our path, we bid you shade and sweet water.